song with a tremendous message. Amen. All right, let's take our Bibles today. Turn over the book of Psalm, chapter 126. Psalm 126. The book of Psalm, of course, is a pretty large book. There's a number of chapters in it, 150. And uh, 126 is where we'll be today. We're going to read the first three verses of that particular chapter, and we'll go from there. Again, it's good to have each of you with us today. What a beautiful morning it is. It was really a little chilly this morning when I I got in my car, it was like 30-something degrees, 30, they said it was 34 degrees in my car, but it's, yeah, right. So anyway, uh, 
If that's agreeing, like saying, praise the Lord for 34, you're nuts. But anyway, uh, <clears throat> I want 70 and sunny all year long. Well, it could even get up to 80 in the summer. That'd be all right, too. Maybe even 85 from time to time. But, uh, boy, I'll tell you what, I don't like winter. Ooh. I'm supposed to be content in whatsoever state I am, but I'm not. I'm learning, as the Paul said, I'm learning to be content. That's a, that's a battle for me. All right, Psalm chapter 126. But boy, what a beautiful day it's going to turn out to be, it looks like. 126 verses 1 through 3. Let's begin reading there. The Bible says, When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter, and our tongue with singing. Then said they among the heathen, The Lord hath done great things for them. The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Whereof we are glad. This particular passage speaks of a great deliverance and the overwhelming amazement of God's people. Some commentators point to the 70-year uh, Babylonian captivity and the decree of Cyrus to allow Jerusalem to be once again rebuilt and worship to once again be rekindled. Others point to God's supernatural deliverance of Hezekiah and the people of God from Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, and those overwhelming forces that they faced there in the Old Testament. Matter of fact, in that particular situation, this great nation, Assyria, had defeated a, a, a formidable host and a formidable uh, enemies throughout the world at that point. They were one of the strongest armies in the world, and they had proven it by defeating many of the strongest armies in the world. And now Sennacherib and his great forces are set against Judah. They stand in opposition to this nation. They seek to take it, to overcome it, and to lead it into captivity. Hezekiah and the people of God faced an army of 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. Those days and those weeks passed very slowly, and they passed without hope. The people were hungry, starving even. The soldiers were afraid. The future was extremely grim at that point. When all hope was lost, it was then that God intervened on behalf of His people. Not one sword was drawn, not one arrow flung, and yet the Assyrian army went down in flames. Matter of fact, we read in the book of 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 35, it says, And it came to pass that night that the angel of the Lord went out and smote in the camp of the Assyrians a hundred, fourscore, and five thousand. A hundred and eighty-five thousand Assyrians in one night, dead. When they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses, the Bible says. Here they were again facing Judah. They were in opposition to Judah. Hezekiah and the people scared out of their minds and that they bowed down before God and begged the Lord to supernaturally intervene. And he did intervene. And in one unfailing swoop, the angel of the Lord took out all the opposition. It was like a dream from starvation and utter dread to hope and ecstasy overnight. Like the cancer patient that's faced with an incurable disease suddenly receives news that they are cancer-free. Like a dream. 
like the leper that's consumed with petrifying sores and decaying flesh, who walks about crying out, unclean, 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 and has no hope of ever being made whole, who's suddenly touched for the first time in years by the Master, Jesus Christ, and supernaturally is made whole and restored immediately. That was the situation with Judah. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream, the Bible says. Our passage describes their response to this supernatural turn of events as well. In verse 2, the Bible says, Then was our mouth filled with laughter, and our tongue was singing. It says, man, I mean to tell you, here we were with this overwhelming burden, this army that's facing us, and we knew we were in trouble. We were starving, and we couldn't get out to get supplies, and we knew our children and our families and our loved ones would be decimated and destroyed and havoc wreaked, and we knew there was no hope. And yet overnight, within just one swoop of the angel of the Lord, all of a sudden, it's like a dream. Here we are. It's like it's too good to be true, free at last. They began to sing and shout and praise God. And they laughed and just were delirious with, with, with laughter and just amazed at what God had done. So great was their deliverance and rejoicing that the Bible tells us even the heathen took notice. Even those nations around them, even those who hated their God took notice. The Bible says, Then said they among the heathen, The Lord hath done great things for them. The Lord had done great things for them. Oh, it was not Israel or Judah. It wasn't this great king Hezekiah. It certainly wasn't the armies of Judah. No way. It was the Lord that did it. We know because we've heard the news of Assyria. We've, we've been reading the papers and we've been keeping our eye on the web. We know how powerful they were. And we realize that the, Judah had no hope whatsoever. And yet we hear their laughter, and yet we hear their singing, and yet we hear their praise, and yet we see their deliverance. This is of God, the heathen said. The Lord had done great things for them. Wow. Still more important, I think, even than that to note is their own response, Judah's response toward their God who delivered them. Not just the response to the deliverance, but to the God who delivered them. And the Bible says here, the Lord, they, they spoke and said, The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. God, you've been so good. We're so glad today that not only you're our God, but so glad that, God, you have done what you've done. And they were amazed and they were just so thrilled and they were so glad from utter starvation and captivity and bondage to abundance, freedom and joy. The Lord hath done great things for us whereof we are glad. Do you know this morning you and I have plenty to be glad about. You and I are very similar to Judah facing an army called the Assyrians, in a sense. Like them, we too were born into bondage. Like them, we too were starving in a world, hungry for the things of God, not even knowing that it was Him that we lacked. 
like them, we were bound for death, consumed with grief, to be carried away in our sin, to forever be lost in a place called the lake of fire. And yet salvation came. In John chapter 5, verse 24, we read, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Amen. Isn't that wonderful? As in a dream. It's, 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 it's a dream, is it not? No longer the sentence of death. No longer headed to a place called the lake of fire, but instead free at last. If the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Our salvation. It's an amazing thing. An unbelievable thing. And something that only God could do. Nothing that you could do or I could do or the church could do or a pastor could do. Simply what God has done. Not only our salvation, but we think of our reservation. Oh, to be glad about that reservation that we have in heaven. In 1 Peter, turn there if you would, verse chapter 1, verse 3. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. In 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, we read this passage. It says, <clears throat> Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Amen. Are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Boy, we are saved, yes, but we have a reservation in heaven. I mean, there's been times, I remember one time I went to a conference and I'd made a reservation to stay in a particular hotel. When I arrived at the hotel, I walked on into the counter. I said, my name's Mark O'Donnell. I'm here for this certain period of time. They said, do you have a reservation with us? I said, yes, I do. Do you have a confirmation number? I said, without doubt. I pulled out the confirmation number. I shared it with the, the gentleman at the desk and he began to look over that. And he brought in another manager and she came in and they looked it over and they said, sir, uh, you definitely have um, a confirmation number and a reservation. However, we do not have a room for you. There's been a mix-up. I said, what? I thought when you made a reservation, you had a, 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 a number, a reservation number. I, I thought I was set, man. I thought I was good to go. They said, well, we've been doing some construction and we lost a number of our rooms. And for some reason or another, one of the... Uh, uh, one of the desk clerks have given away your room. And I said, well, I've traveled a number of miles and I'm planning on being here a number of days and I definitely need a place to stay. Well, sir, hold on a moment, would you please? Let me see what I can do for you. I said, all right, that's, that's the best you can do. I said, this is not going to be good, is it? They said, well, there's no way we can give you a room here when they came back. There's just no way we can give you that room. And uh, we just don't have the space anymore. And, sir, we apologize. We're so sorry for that. But I have a friend that owns a hotel across town, and uh, he says he has a room for you, and I'll, 
I'll, I'll, I, he says it will be comparable, if not better. And trust me, he's going to take care of me. That means he'll take care of you. Would you be willing to at least go there and check the room out? I said, well, obviously I have no other options. Of course I'm going. And so he said, okay. And so I, I, got, my, I got in my car and I, I found that I had the directions. I made my way to that particular hotel. It was almost a brand new hotel. It hadn't been up very long at all. And it wasn't really that far at all. It wasn't that inconvenient for me in the least. And uh, the gentleman at the counter, I, I went there and I said, I'm Mark O'Donnell. He said, oh, yeah, you're the gentleman that, that John called about or something. I said, yeah. And he said, well, we do. We have a room for you, sir. Uh, so uh, here are your keys. It's a nice room. You're, uh, you're welcome to take a look at the room first. I said, I'm sure it'll be perfectly fine. I said, the price is the question. What's the price? It'll be the exact price you paid there. I said, whatever that was, okay. I said, here's the reservation I had. Here's the cost it would have been. That's fine, sir. We'll, we'll take care of it. It'll be the exact same price. I remember getting on an elevator, and you had to use a card to slip into the elevator to get to the, my floor. Couldn't get to my floor without using my card and sliding it in. Now, there were four floors to the hotel, but three of them were accessible. The other one, you had to have a card. I was on the fourth. Yeah. I'm going to tell you what, I got off that elevator, and it was like, wow, there's nobody around here. This is nice. Went to my room and opened it up, and boy, I'll tell you what, it was a nice room. And I thought, wait, there's a mix-up. I remember thinking that, and I went back downstairs even, and I said, sir, I said, honestly, I think there's been a mix-up. I think you gave me the wrong key. He said, well, where are you in? I said, I'm in, on the fourth floor. He goes, no, sir, that's the right floor. I take care of my friends. And I'm going to tell you something. I was so happy that that hotel's lost my reservation. <laughs> That was a wonderful week. Now, and, and let me just put it this way, too. That week, and I'll be honest with you, I was at a conference, and I got very, very sick that week. Very sick while I was there. It was so nice to be in a nice room, being sick away from home. I didn't have my wife to wait on me hand and foot. See, guys, aren't you jealous of me? I didn't have my kids to do my bidding. It was all poor little me, stuck in a room, sick as a dog. But I'm going to tell you something. The Lord met my need, and the Lord provided for me there. And boy, old John at the desk down there, I think that was his name. I'm so glad that he sent me to his buddy. Reservations. That's not how it works in heaven, though. Let me tell you something. You're not going to get a, a bad reservation. If the reservation's made, it's confirmed. It's already settled. On earth, you're dealing with man. On earth, you're dealing with people. On earth, you're dealing with finality. There, there's infinity. I mean, it's not, there's nothing like that there. You'll not have to worry about it. We have a reservation, the Bible tells us. In the book of 1 Peter, as we read already, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. We're kept by the power of God, not our own strength, not our own ability, not our own wisdom, but we're kept by God's strength, saved eternally. We have a destination, too. Not only salvation and reservation, but we have a destination. In the book of John, chapter 14, turn there if you would. What a wonderful passage. John, chapter 14. There we have three verses we'll read. John 14, 1 through 3. In that particular passage, we understand that, again, that the disciples were a little discouraged because Christ had referred and told them that he was going to be going to the cross, that he would no longer be with them, and 
that he had to take this journey to Calvary, that ultimately he'd go back to be the father. Boy, they were upset. Their hearts were breaking. He says to them there in John 14, verse 1 through 3, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. Well, not only do we have a salvation and a reservation, but we have a destination. What's being prepared for us as we speak, the Lord Jesus Christ himself preparing us a place. A place. And what a wonderful thing. We went from the depths of despair. We went from having no hope in this world and without God, according to Second Ephesians chapter 2, to having a salvation that is everlasting, having a, a, a reservation that is without doubt secure and safe, to having a destination that is greater and far better than the Taj Mahal here in, in, in America, I mean, excuse me, in, in the world. I mean, we are a blessed people today. Right, amen. <laughs> like the psalmist, we can say, The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. I wonder, are you glad today? Are you glad? If we're not careful, the best of us, if we're not careful, the best of us can allow the circumstances and the situations of life to cause us to no longer be glad. They can cause us to lose sight of what God has already done. How God has taken the captivity that we have uh, had cast upon us from birth to the freedom that we now have and forget that He did all that. Forget how He delivered us. Forget how He caused us to be no longer starving but full. We forget those things. See, this gladness that we have as a result of the deliverance that God has given us, this dream of being bound and now being blessed, It should fuel our life from this day forward. The prevailing attitude of the believer should be that of gladness and joy. Do you realize that the heathen or those who are unbelievers may never open a Bible? They may never enter a church but they will see you and I along life's pathway. They'll see us. They'll interact with us. They'll converse with us. They'll have contact with us. Oh, they may never hold a Bible in their hand. They may never open it up and read it. They may never, ever walk through the doors of Community Baptist Temple. They may never sit in a seat where you sit. They may never hear a message preached. They may never sit and listen to a Sunday school or the gospel explained and shared. No, they may never do those things, but they will see us, have contact with us. We'll converse possibly with us. The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. I wonder if they'll see gladness. 
Well, you know, it's a hard place to be happy at work sometimes, to have gladness. You get stuck on the worst job there is. It seems like you always get the short end of the stick. I remember when I worked at McDonald's, they had what was called a grease trap. Now, you know, you know who gets stuck doing the grease trap, don't you? The guy who doesn't fight back. The guy who says, yes, ma'am, yes, sir. The guy who doesn't go, oh, oh, I don't want to, oh, ah. The guy who doesn't do that, he's the one that gets stuck doing the grease trap. Boy, you'd open up that grease trap, and I mean it reeked. Fortunately, they were only cooking 100% pure beef. But the, but the fact was, is it reeked. It was horrible, detestable. And I remember taking that top off, and oh, man, I just got gag. I covered my nose with my shirt, and, uh, and I have to dig in there, and oh, the grease trap. I got stuck doing the grease trap a lot. It wasn't always easy to be glad or joy-filled. <laughs> it was tough. You know what? At work, sometimes it's hard to be expressing gladness. You know, at home, it's not always easy to express gladness, is it? I don't know what it is about being home, around your family, those that you love the most, those that you're most comfortable with. Sometimes it's easy to express disdain. and Sometimes it's easy to be a little more critical about things. Sometimes it's a place where we feel that, you know, without realizing it, we have the right to kind of really be ourselves. But you know what? They're watching. They're watching. You know, it wasn't that long ago we got a note from a waitress down the street. I, I hope that it was a misunderstanding. We had a waitress that said all that the family did was bicker and fight. And then they didn't leave much of a tip. They said, sir, this does not reflect, I do not believe this reflects on you as the pastor. But I would be very unlikely to come to your church and visit based on their testimony. Now, folks, listen to me. Don't think for a minute that people are not watching us. They may never read this book right here. They may never read it. They may never come to this church and sit in these chairs. But they're watching. We have so much to be glad about. So much to be happy about, so much to be joy-filled about. I understand that in the loss, uh, when there's loss of family and friends, when there's that separation that takes place, there's brokenness and there's hurt and there's heartache and there are tears, yes. That's understandable and people understand those things. But when we go through life day by day, minute by minute, hour by hour, week by week, and we're always miserable and we've got a negative spirit and a critical attitude and outlook, when we don't express the joy of the Lord and the, the gladness that we have as a result of our deliverance from hell and our hope in Christ, I'm fearful that maybe that's far more damaging than anything we could do. 
whether we are serving in a ministry, whether we are surrendering to our personal Christian life and growth, we ought to do it with gladness now. I mean, the Bible simply says to us very clearly that when the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. goes on to say, the Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Do you remember those great things regularly, consistently? Yesterday, as we went out, passing out our flyers throughout the, the community, you know, we had our, our big pass-out day. Unfortunately, we didn't reach our goal. But we certainly, I believe and hope, that everybody went out with an attitude of gladness. I know I did, and I know I was with Tony, and we went out, and, man, we were hitting those streets. We were walking like maniacs, going crazy, passing those things out. The only thing that upset me was when those things would fall off the door right as I walked away. <laughs> that door hanger, and I'd walk, and I'd hear it, and I'd go, Oh, no. Turn around and back up the steps, a couple steps, grab it, and I'd have to find a way to rig it into the door, get it set up and fixed so it wouldn't fly away. That, that did bother me a little bit. And I had to be careful because one time I almost went, No! And I went, I hope nobody was watching that. And then I realized I got to cool it, you know. So then, but, but, but I, 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 I was, we we're flying along and, and we got running a little bit late because we wanted to get all of our flyers out. We took almost 450 of them, I think is what we took. We were trying to get those things out. We're going crazy, running through the streets and doing stuff. And we ran over to some, I said, man, listen, there's no way we're going to get rid of all these. I know of a place. Let's go over here and see these apartments. We'll knock those out. We ran over there. We knocked them out. Then we ran over to this other little place. I said, I think I know this little teeny trailer park. Let's run over there. I don't think anybody's there. I ran over there. We looked and said, nobody's been here. Yes. So we hit those right at the end. We were flying. The last 20 minutes, we were doing really going like gangbusters. Tony never was like, boy, we got to go back. Come on. I'm tired. He was just like, let's go. I like that attitude. I like He's like, yeah, let's do it. And he had an attitude of gladness. He was fired up about it. He was excited about it. You know what that did for me? It made me say, let's keep on going. Let's do it, man. You want to know something? Sometimes when you express that kind of gladness, when you can look back and say, man, look what God has done for me. I know things aren't going exactly like I'd like them to. Maybe those, those flyers are falling off the door handles and maybe the, the weather got a little bit cool and maybe this happened or that happened. Unfortunately, yesterday we had perfect weather. But I mean, the things just aren't going quite like they ought to. You say, let's keep on going. We got something to be glad about. And you know what? You might just help someone else to keep on going. Just keep on going. We live in a world that's rather discouraging at times, don't we? Let's face it, it's not easy sometimes. It gets hard, don't it? But praise God, we can look back at a time in our life when the enemy of Satan was pounding on our door, when they were overwhelming us and overcoming us, and when we had no hope and we saw no, no, no substance and we could find no satisfaction, but he came along, the Lord Jesus Christ, and delivered us supernaturally. And we 
like the psalmist and say the Lord hath done great things for us whereof we are glad. Yes, amen. <laughs> oh, things might not be going the way I want them to right now and the chips may seem down and life may seem upside down and the world's going crazy, but listen, I got something to be glad about. I want to spend just a couple minutes and I want to share this thought with you now. What are some of the detours to gladness? What are the detours to gladness? We know what we ought to have. We know what we ought to do and we know how we ought to be, but sometimes let's face it, it's not easy. But let's take our circumstances away from it. Let's take our situation because in reality God says that's not really a good reason to be anything but still joy-filled based on what God's done for you. What can you and I do? We can't control our circumstances anyway. Our situation is not something usually we can control. Now, there's some things we do that exasperate a problem or create a problem. I understand that. But things happen to us. We can't control that. So let's not talk about things we can't control and the things that we just have to overcome in, the, in Christ. Let's talk about the things we can control. What are some of the detours to gladness? Here they are very quickly. Number one, sin. Sin will steal your gladness. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verse 9, the Bible says, Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. The Lord Jesus Christ is being referred to here. It says he loved righteousness and he hated iniquity. He loved righteousness and he hated iniquity. He loved righteousness and he hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness. See, a result of sin is a violated conscience. One of the results of sin is a violated conscience. Have you ever had a violated conscience? Do not answer that, please. If you're human, you have had a violated conscience at some point in your life. Every one of us has. We've violated our conscience. We've done something that we know was wrong. We did something that we know went contrary to God or His desires or His, His will for our life even. It, 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 a violation of conscience brings us to a place of guilt and shame. Let me tell you something. It's hard to be glad when you're guilt-ridden. It's hard to be glad when shame is resting on your life. Now, sometimes shame is not a result of your sin. Listen to me. If something's happened to you that was out of your control and you were hurt or harmed or taken advantage of or abused, then listen, your shame is unfounded. Do not allow that shame to, to, to wreak havoc in your life. It's not your fault. There's a difference there. But when we have sinned against God, we have done something that is immoral, in, undecent, or different, or uh, uh, goes contrary to the Word of God, and our conscience is violated, there's a sense of guilt and shame. That is exactly what God wants for us. We are being raised in a culture today that says, Do not make children feel guilty. Do not allow them to feel shame. No, that's detrimental to their character and their upbringing. That is a lie right out of hell. The fact is that God created us with a conscience for a reason. Because He wants us to feel shame. And He wants us to feel guilt. Because He wants us to ultimately punish ourselves until we come back to Him in a sense. He wants us to come to Him. And He wants us to confess our sin. He wants us to repent of our sin. And He wants us to get right with Him. Under the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind and conscience is defiled. Well, I'll tell you what, a defiled conscience makes it very hard, makes it impossible, really. 
to enjoy the gladness, to be glad. A result of sin are various consequences. We've talked about that a lot of times, but, you know, if you've taken any science classes you've, or, or so forth, you've learned of Newton's third law. Newton's third law is this. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. But you want to know something? Long before Newton was ever born, God had already said in His Word, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Do you realize Newton didn't really figure it all out? God had already figured it out. He just borrowed, plagiarized from God. Listen, a result of sin is a violated conscience. A result of sin are various consequences. They'll steal your joy. They will steal your gladness. Sin is a detour to gladness. Number two, ingratitude. Ingratitude is a detour to gladness. Say, so what do you mean? Well, unrealistic expectations. That's basically what ingratitude is. We're not grateful for what we have because we think we deserve what? So much more. It's a sense of entitlement, basically. I deserve more than I have. I'm not happy. I can't be glad. How could I be? Maybe you have unrealistic expectations because you are so, such an ingrate. You're not grateful for anything. Listen, if you are having trouble with gratitude, you are having trouble with gladness. It is, a, it, is a road, it is a roadblock to gladness. Unrealistic expectations is what ingratitude breeds. Not only that, but unbridled envy. See, when we're unsatisfied with what we possess, what's the natural chain of events? We become envious or wanting of what others have. Now all of a sudden, my wife isn't good enough. My husband isn't good enough. All of a sudden, my children aren't obedient enough. All of a sudden, my job isn't good enough. Everything has a tendency. I, I wish I had his money. I wish I had his family. I wish I had his wife. I wish I had his things. Envy. Envy. Ingratitude is a roadblock. It's a detour to gladness. Be careful with that. Ingratitude, sin, and finally, what's the last one that I have for you this morning? Selfishness, selfishness. Kind of goes with all of those, doesn't it? Sin, ingratitude, kind of point to selfishness, do they not? But what is selfishness? Basically seeing only ourselves. We see ourselves. That's, that's what selfishness really is. I see myself. We, we live in a very unusual, a very strange culture compared to 50 years ago. Things have changed in a major way. Some things, some change has been good. Other change, not so good. That's true in every culture. It's true in every society. It's true in every church. Change isn't bad in and of itself. The problem is which change, what change. That, can, that determines the difference. One of the things that we have today... Are, are, are all these iPhones or uh, all these uh, smartphones and all of these different gadgets and gizmos and access to pictures and all this stuff all the time. And one of the things I, I see constantly, and, and it's true of all of us to some degree, but if we're not careful, it can come consuming to us, is we, we like to take pictures of ourselves all the time. It's always, it seems like 
the world revolves around me. Everything's directed at me. Every, every um, advertisement is for me. I mean, look, uh, you, you want to be happy, Mark? Then you need to drink this and you need to eat that. And, and, and I want you to be happy, Mark, so you need this particular new phone and you need this and you need that. And I, I mean, everybody caters to me. You know, it used to, Burger King, you have it your way. Now, I haven't been eating at Burger King because they had that gay burger, whatever they called it. I can't remember what it is. What, can tell me, tell me, the rainbow burger? What was it? The Proud Whopper. Proud Whopper, promoting gay lifestyle. Yeah, they had, it's called the Proud, yeah. And, and I, I, haven't been, I haven't gone there since I found that out. I won't go to Burger King because I'm not going to support that. It's open. It's open. It's not, it's not like they, listen, you say, well, everybody supports it. Okay, fine. But they're open about it. We, we, don't, we don't use Home Depot. You want to know why a church we don't use Home Depot? Because they have a float in gay parades that's called Homo Depot. I, I, I don't support that lifestyle because God doesn't support it. But what, and I don't know how we got on that, but I just thought it would be good for you to know that. Because you know what? The Bible's still true. You know, we've been too nice all, all morning. I guess I had to throw something in there that would grate somebody. But, 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 but still, listen to me. I, I'm tell, and I'm not glad about that, mind you. It breaks my heart because I love Home Depot. No, but, but I, 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 it, it, no, it breaks my heart because, listen, people are people. They all have needs and they have all hurts and they all have heartaches. And by the way, let me tell you something. Let me just say this right now. If you know somebody that, that is a sodomite, you know somebody, and that's the biblical term. If you know somebody like that, you better love them. You better love them, because I'm telling you something. If you don't show them the gladness of Jesus Christ, they may never find the Lord. Because they may never open this book, they may never come to this church, but they better see gladness in your heart. They better know what brings you joy. You better show them the love of Christ. Don't you dare be nasty and mean to people just because they don't believe the way you believe. Why in the world should you expect anybody in the world to believe the way you believe after what God has done in your heart and life? You aren't the same because he changed you. Not because you're so much better or you're somebody. No, you're nothing just like I'm nothing. We are big zeros without Jesus Christ. But let me tell you something. With Christ, God helps us to have a compassionate love for people. Let's love everybody. But on the same token, I don't support things that openly support things that go contrary to God's word. Amen. I don't want to be a friend of them who befriends sin and Satan. At least that's what the Bible teaches us in the Old Testament. Now, moving on, because we've got to end this real fast, because it's almost five after now. Selfishness. We like the pictures. We like to be us, the center of attention. Listen, that will steal your gladness, friend. Steal your gladness. The world's not about you. It's not about me. Let's help ourselves. Let's do something for Christ. Let's do something for others. It's amazing what God can do with us if we'll let him. It says, in the last days, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. One of the signs of the last times is selfishness. Let's not be selfish, folks. Let's love people. Let's make a difference in lives. Let's put others before ourselves. Let nothing be done through strife and vainglory, the Bible says, but in loneliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Preacher, you had to go and ruin a good message. That's the way I am. 
I never want my the expectation too high around here. Listen, let me tell you something. Gladness. Think with me, if you would, for just a moment as we close. Remember that day that you bowed your knee or humbled your heart before God who's holy. Just remember with me the bare burden and the weight of sin that was on your shoulders that moment. Do you remember that weight? Do you remember how the enemy weighed you down? And then all of a sudden, you cried out for mercy to a holy God who sacrificed his all on Calvary, who shed his precious, perfect blood for you. He washed your sin away and delivered you from the weight and the debt of sin. Remember that? And as we remember that, without a doubt, we can say with the psalmist, the Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. And that's what the world needs to see today, the gladness. Where are the smiles today? Where's the joy? I know there's hurt and heartache in the world, I do. But like I said, the heathen in this particular passage said, man, they, the Lord hath done great things for them. That's what the heathen said. The Lord got the credit for it. Don't you want God glorified amongst your, your friends, your family, your loved ones, those even at work, others that don't even know the Lord? Don't you want him lifted up? If you do, then let's express the gladness that we have as a result of our salvation, of our destination, the fact that we are reserved, have a place in heaven already, that ought to just motivate us. It ought to fuel our gladness. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then said they among the heathen, The Lord hath done great things for them. The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Father, we come to you. We thank you, Lord, for the gladness.